Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited about a new episode of our podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Balin Trujillo. He's a teacher and a quarterback coach in Orlando, Florida, a husband, but more than that, just an incredible man of God with passion for Jesus and making Jesus known. I can't wait for you to hear from him, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Balin. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. I always like to start this off with some background um, information just so listeners kind of get out of the idea of, of who you are and where you're from. So, you know, just tell tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe uh, where you grew up, a little bit about your family growing up, and then your family today. Yeah, so born and raised in Orlando, Florida. I did live in Alabama one year, and that was when I was in first grade. Uh, my mom got a job promotion. We moved out there. Then They ended up getting bought out by another big company, so we moved back to Orlando. Uh, my dad grew up in Miami. My mom grew up in Panama City. Uh, they met at UCF. My dad actually played safety at UCF in 88, 89. Um, and uh, that's where they met. They ended up you know, meeting in January. Actually, their anniversary was yesterday, December 29th. Married 30 years. But they met on January 29th, got engaged and married all in 11 months to the day. Then they had me shortly thereafter. Um, so my whole life, you know, again, being raised in Orlando, Florida, uh, which is, again, where my parents met. You know, I've been playing baseball, basketball, football year rounds since the age of four. My dad was very competitive, obviously, with the football background uh, and the college football background. There was a lot of, I, I would say, standards uh, that, you know, maybe he had has set for me. Uh, but I, w- I was training year round, had really no time to hang out with friends. I always, you know, assumed that, you know, my dad was, you know, wanting to for me not to have a childhood. That was how I looked at it. But in retrospect, he was really just trying to show me, you know, what it takes to be great and live out a dream. Cause my dream was always to play at college in the professional level. So he pushed me. I mean, like I said, at the age of four, it was baseball. That's where I started off with T-ball, uh, then went to basketball at six and then football at seven. And once seven hit, it was year round. My dad literally changed my entire garage into a weight room. Um, so I had to work out every single day. There was no excuse after that. We'd go shoot hoops for an hour at a basketball hoop right in front of my house shoot for an hour, go to the batting cage, maybe finish throwing routes. So it was all three sports, 365. You know, I, I was on a schedule. I couldn't really watch TV. Like it was always training, come home, do homework, eat, go to bed. And it was like the same routine over and over again. Uh, sometimes my dad would wait for me after school in elementary and middle school on a track. And after school, that last bell, I'd have to go meet him, run a mile before I even went home. So, I mean, my whole life was really surrounding sports growing up in Orlando, um, and com- you know, competing at the highest level, doing travel ball, playing in all-star games. Um, and so, you know, that had really driven me to really become great. But again, at the end of the day, I really resented my dad through a lot of that because that that's really all I saw him as was my coach. Um, so, you know, that's probably, honestly, if those are listening, is my biggest regret because my dad only saw, you know, he just wanted me to be great. And he, you know, I'm a trainer myself now. So I got to, like I said, uh, play, I played at Oak Ridge high school, which is where I teach now. That's in Orlando, Florida, uh, played there. My senior year was at Boone high school. Previously before that went to a state championship, state semifinals, my sophomore, junior year on varsity. Uh, but I was splitting time with another guy. So I felt like, you know, if I wanted to play at college, it was time to, to move on and, and move into a spread offense. And that's what I did. And, had a phenomenal year, went to a bowl game, uh, got recruited, had over eight scholarship offers. Uh, my biggest opportunity that I had was the University of South Florida, USF. I really wanted to stay close to home. I was looking at some schools outside of the state, 
Uh, but once Peter Boss, the quarterback coach at USF, called me, that's where I was. I was headed. I went to an unofficial visit, went to a spring practice, told my dad right there, this is where I want to go. Um, and then, unfortunately, through some some circumstances, I didn't take school really serious because I really thought football and, and, and any sport was going to take me to the highest level. I kind of screwed around and messed up on my ACT or not really my ACT because I got a 22, but my SAT and I didn't qualify to enroll in the USF in the fall. I had to take spring or uh, summer classes and I didn't sign up in time. So I actually had to go to Valencia for a year and um, I did that and then became a lower level transfer. Uh, got my 30 credit hours, five classes in the, in the fall, five in the spring. And then I transferred to USF over the summer of 2011 and uh, I was I was blessed enough for them to con- to continue to recruit me during that time. So I walked right back on campus and, and was a part of the football team in 2011. Ended up redshirting to get that year back under Skip Holtz. Um, and um, you know we did really well. And then going into spring, they did like a coaching rotation. I didn't really feel comfortable with it. Uh, the running backs coach went to quarterbacks, and my quarterback coach went to tight ends. So it was just like a whole mix up. And I just again I didn't feel comfortable. So I ended up getting my release. Um, right after this uh, spring game of 2012, and that was really my redshirt sophomore year. And then um, I ended up transferring to Weber International University, where I played uh, three years. My senior year won the uh, the conference championship, which is a really cool experience. It was the first time in school's history being in a conference, and then we won it. Uh, finished ranked 23 in the country, which is really cool to put Weber uh, International on the map. Um, but I, but through that process, I ended up tearing my ACL, my redshirt junior year, which was a, a definitely eye-opening experience because uh, you know it was in the spring, actually three days after my 21st birthday, and um, and it was the last play of the spring game. Ended up getting blindsided on my leg, uh, came from a blitz, and my lineman fell right into my knee as I was planning to throw. Ended up blowing out my ACL. Came back in five months, um, and then uh, you know again, then the story happened to where you know. I finished off my senior year. Uh, we won the conference. So through that, I was able to get a uh, an opportunity to throw at a uh, pro day at Florida State University. I was the only quarterback to throw at FSU, did really well, and we had two incompletes the entire day. Um, threw in front of all 32 NFL scouts. It was funny because that same day, FAMU, for whatever reason, had a pro day, and not one scout ended up going to Florida A&M. They all came to FSU that day. Uh, so it was really cool opportunity to throw in front of all those guys. And I talked to a couple NFL scouts afterwards. Again, I had a phenomenal day. I was really there to throw with uh, Jacquez Patrick and Nyquan Murray, who both played in the NFL for a little stint there. I think Jacquez is still there now. Um, but it was a great opportunity. And then through that, I uh, played four years, four and a half years of professional arena, uh, most notably last year with the Orlando Predators, which was my hometown team. So it was really cool to have an opportunity to play for the, the same team that I grew up going to games and, and you know, visualizing myself maybe playing for one day. And I actually got to do that. So it's a cool opportunity. So uh, through that, it's led me to cor- uh, train quarterbacks. I've uh, been doing that for six years now, right when I graduated at Weber in uh, December of 2014. Uh, January 15, I started my own quarterback training business called Be True QB Training. And I uh, started off with like one client, which was like a family friend. And then through the use of social media and YouTube, it went from one client to 15 to 30 to now I train six years later, over 160 quarterbacks in just Central Florida alone. Uh, have over 22 kids playing at the next level in Division One, so I'm pretty proud of that, and also college football. Um, so again, I've been doing that, and then through my uh, training business, one day uh, one of my family members, my uncle, was like, "Hey, man, you might want to think about doing a camp, you know, and, and start traveling and doing that sort of thing." So I did, 
And I, I got together with a good friend of mine, Stephen Garcia, who played at South Carolina. And uh, together we formed uh, Advanced QB Camp well, about three and a half years ago and uh, really took off. And then through meeting other relationships and other quarterback coaches like Kevin Olson, Quincy Carter, uh, Robert Delfino, Jeff Higgins, stuff like that, I branched off. And again, I, it was still my business, but I call it now Be True's Advanced QB Camp, where now I travel all across the country with other quarterback coaches. And we put on big events for all offensive skill, mainly designed for the quarterback position. Uh, but I've traveled to North Carolina, New Jersey, Texas, where I'm at now, Orlando, obviously Fort Myers, you know, so I'm around and now I make contacts. Now I'd be having a contact in Tennessee, uh, California, Arizona. So you name it, I'll probably have a camp there at some point. So through my business, man, I've met so many great things. I've been involved in so many cool events. Like I'm like, I'm at an all American bowl right now coaching in it, which is great. But again, growing up in Orlando and, and being with my dad really set the tone growing up with that mentality of trying to be the best, uh, which is, you know, ultimately got me to where I'm at today. So I thank my dad every day. And again, my biggest regret was resenting him instead of accepting him because he knew what he saw in me. And now I'm living out the dream and got to play. That's awesome. What a, what a story. Um, overcoming adversity as well with injuries and coaching changes. And that's awesome. And so also, you know, a part of who you are is you um, are a follower of Christ. And so at what point in your life did you, was it growing up in faith or at what point did you yeah. decide you, you know, wanted to, that personal relationship? So, yeah, my, uh, my dad actually grew up Catholic, <clears throat> very strong Catholic and, and didn't really follow the rules. I mean, he kind of did his own thing growing up. And then on the, on the other hand, my mom, strong Christian, she grew up, you know, Southern Baptist and her dad was a preacher, my grandfather. And um, so, you know, she had a really strong Christian background. But when my dad got to UCF, that's when he found the Lord and he found it through um, a Pastor Piccolo, which is the same guy that married my wife and I, which is a family friend. And obviously he was a team chaplain with my dad and the equipment guy at UCF. And um, and so he, he, he showed my dad you know, the differences between Catholicism and Christianity. And, and my dad really, he jumped on it, man, and committed himself to Christ and, and became a born again believer. And then meeting my mom, she was also a big believer. So growing up, that's all I knew was being a Christian and growing up in a Christian household with my sister and I and going to church every Sunday and really respecting my parents and, and doing that whole nine. And, and really, and they did a good job of really teaching me what it meant to be a Christian. And that's obviously building a relationship with myself and God, not trying to just go to church, which means absolutely nothing. It's actually forming a true relationship with God by accepting him as your Lord and Savior. So I didn't really know what that meant growing up as a kid, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I just, again, in my my interpretation was just go to, go to church and stuff, but it's much more than that. And so through my transfer process, which I've mentioned earlier, um, you know, I was, uh, I had actually transferred to Oak Ridge halfway through my junior year. And, um, it was the best three weeks of my life. And I remember transferring to Oak Ridge and coach Elijah Williams, who's now at Jones high school. He's, he's, he was my mentor, my head coach at Oak Ridge, but he got me into Oak Ridge halfway through my junior year, right after we lost the state semifinal game through Christmas break. And I remember going there and it was the best three weeks of my life. I mean, I felt accepted. I was with a lot of talent. I was really excited about what was happening. And then, and then 
about three weeks later, I found out that the head coach at Boone High School and the principal had a whole investigation under me and found out that I illegally transferred because I transferred to Oak Ridge through a magnet program, which if you know anything about magnets, you have to be two full years of a magnet to be to be eligible to graduate. And at this point, it would have been a year and a half. So they put me in the system at Oak Ridge as if I enrolled early in August as a junior, when in reality, it was January of my junior year. So I missed a whole semester of uh, magnet program. So they somehow got me in, but clearly OCPS, Orange County Public Schools, during, through the investigation, realized I was actually enrolled at Boone High School, played for them, and then now I'm at Oak Ridge. So I'll never forget, I was in the, sh- uh, you know, I was about to take a shower. My mom pulled me up in my room. It was a Sunday night, and she's like, hey, I just got a call from OCPS, and they told me that you have to go back to Boone High School. Now, mind you, again, the three weeks of, of transferring was the best three weeks of my life. And I'm thinking, man, my future's right here. I had, I was, Coaches from Tennessee, Miami, Mississippi State, Marshall, Middle Tennessee were all coming to see me. Obviously, spring is where you know, the recruiting happens, and I'm the new transfer quarterback, so they want to talk to me and stuff. And So a lot of things were happening in those three weeks. And uh, 8.3, which is a Christian radio station in Orlando or in the Florida area, and I was doing push-ups and sit-ups, as my dad had taught me at a young age to do. So I would do 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups every night before I went to bed seven days a week. And so this time I decided to listen to ZD 8.3 because it was the only way I felt comfortable. And as I'm listening to the Christian radio station, there was a song that I'd heard previously a couple weeks prior. Um, it was actually Sitting on Our Knees by Toby Mack. And I, for some reason, that song really gravitated to me when I heard it on the radio, but I didn't know the name of the song or the artist. So I must have been about 30 minutes of listening to the radio and I didn't hear this song. So I'll never forget. I literally prayed. I said, and I tempted God, even though he tells us not to do so. But I was so serious in my heart because I never, I just couldn't figure out what, what God's plan was. So I'm like, God, if this next song is not the song that I listen to, I'm done with you. You're fake. This whole thing has been a lie. You're not real. You clearly don't want the best for me. So this song has to be it or I am done. And I, I, I'm telling you, from, uh, this is not a made up story. This is exactly what happened. I'm still crying at this point. I'm very angry at what's going on. And the very next song, it didn't even like break to like the, the, the co-host it went straight from the song that was playing when i prayed and literally started that song and i'll never forget i felt chills and I, I felt an experience i never felt before like finally i got an answer and that song was playing literally right after i said amen and in that moment i knew what it meant to really have a personal relationship so i gave my life to christ right there in that moment crying my eyes out Clearly saying, God, you have a plan for my life that I have no idea that you got for me. Clearly, this is what it was supposed to be like for whatever the reason. Don't let me question you. And uh, I said, God, I'm a sinner and, and I need you to come into my life right now. And that was, again, my junior year going into my senior year. And so lo and behold, yeah, I went back to Boone High School. I had to finish off the rest of the year there. Did not play spring football, even though the head coach had asked me, hey, come back out. We'll give you a fair opportunity to compete. We might even move you to another position. Yeah, because you're good. You're an athlete. You know, we just want you on the field. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, either I'm transferring and playing quarterback or I'm, I'm done with football. That's where I was mentally. I just didn't want to be there. And so sure enough, man, uh, my parents right going into the summer literally told me what football meant to me. And uh, I, I told them everything, man. And they said, write, write us an essay. And I want you to write down all your thoughts on why you want to transfer. And that's what I did. I wrote them a three-page letter. I gave it to them. They read it. And, uh, and after we had a family discussion about you know, the reasons why uh, I wanted to transfer, uh, they were all in. And they got an apartment in the Oak Ridge District. And uh, they put up our house for sale for over a million dollars, I think, which 
It was the only way to take homestead off the, the, the house, but they knew that no one was going to buy it. They still wanted to keep the house, but I had to put it up for sale because my now res- residency should be in the apartment in the Oak Ridge district because I was already red flagged. So anyways, lo and behold, my parents did that. My, they did that for me, which is crazy thinking about it, paying two mortgages almost. And, uh, and yeah, I got to play my senior year at Oak Ridge high school, got to be reunited with all the teammates that I met months prior for those three weeks and uh, had a phenomenal year, finished fifth in the central Florida passing third in the County and made an all-star game. Like I said, went six and four, which was the first winning season Oak Ridge had in almost a decade, which was great. So a lot of stuff was taking place there. And, um, and yeah, man, I got to live out my dream, play college football, play professional football. And now I get to do what I do every day. So because of that moment, in that moment, not knowing, hey, God, you know, questioning him, even questioning how, how real he was, like, you know, at the point of saying all this is phony, like this is a joke. Like, yeah, there is no God. There, there's no way. And then saying, look, this next song better be it. You better show up or this is all this is all bogus. My whole life I've been like believing in something that's not real. And then all of a sudden God met me right there. Like the chances of that happening is unbelievable. I, you, I mean, come on, the very next song I've been listening to the radio for 30 minutes, didn't hear that song at all. And yet I said, this next song better be it. God, you better show up. And boom. I mean, within this seconds that the, the wow. song started, and I knew immediately I'm like, Oh my gosh, he, he literally is here in, in this present moment. He's with me right now. And I, man, I gave my life to Christ right there. And, um, and I'm not going to lie, you know, uh, went to USF and, and being a part of a division one program, you know, you're, you're exposed to a lot. And so I kind of lost my ways and obviously not being around my family anymore. I got exposed to almost like the real world for the first time, you know, and girls and, and partying, drinking, you know, cheating on tests and, all that stuff was, you know, taking place in my life. And I knew that wasn't right. And I was still trying to be a light going to FCAs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, and I had, a, I was at this, uh, it, uh, on baptism and they really like forced it on me. And I was like, ah, that should be like a decision I make. Like they're basically in the position of telling me like, Hey, like you gotta be baptized. That's like the next step. You've got to do that before you die. You know that you got saved. You've got to get baptized. So they're really, put that lot on me. So I'm like, you know what, this is, might not be the church for me. This is again, while I was at USF and it was on campus. Um, so it was just, you know, a lot of things were going on during that year and a half that I was at USF. Um, but when I transferred to Weber, I made a constant decision that I needed to, you know, change the ways I was living. And I ended up getting baptized that summer of 2012 in July going into Weber international. And, and that was a decision that I wanted to make myself. I didn't feel pressured. I got to that point where I felt like, Hey, this is the next steps needed kind of washing away, you know, some of my, my past stuff and habits and, and going into a new phase of my life. And uh, I did that. And then I ended up transferring to Weber international and then started that year. And then going into the next spring is when I tore my ACL and I, and I am not going to lie again, you know, the world is, is a tricky place, man. And, and, and it's, it's not easy being a Christian and being different, especially when you're the starting quarterback of an, new program you transfer from division one everybody's looking at you like you're the guy you know now you're a, you're a, a big fish in a small pond you know when you just came from a big school and you were you know you're a small fish in a big pond now now i'm the guy so you know went right back to kind of my ways it was like i had that nice change and then when i started having success on the football field you know being the guy again it was like oh man now again the girls are coming you know i don't take school serious even though i never you know i you know i was always making straight a's but again like cheating on tests and and maybe cheating on homework assignments stuff like that that i know deep down i should not be doing 
you know, that spring in April, uh, my registered sophomore year, um, I ended up, you know, again, three days after my 21st birthday, I actually told my parents, sit this one out. They'd never miss a birthday of mine. It was on a Wednesday, ended up winning play because every practice we had this thing called stake to ground. And our one of our coaches, Chuck Kelly, who came from Charleston Southern, was now coaching at Weber. And he he started this tradition called stake to ground, which is a biblical thing. You know, when they stake the ground, they're, they're going to protect, you know, where they are. And um, and so that was a cool thing that they did. And I ended up winning it on my birthday. I had a phenomenal day of practice. Everything was going great. Ended up hanging out with some friends and then did some drinking and that's stuff that I'm not used to because my dad is very strict on, you know, the alcoholism and his dad was an alcoholic. So I know that really affected him. So my life, alcohol is not a good thing. So they saw a photo on, um, on Facebook of my friends and I celebrating on my 21st birthday. And my parents ended up telling me that Saturday morning of my spring game, they found out Friday night. They saw the picture Friday night. I think my sister did. And then that Saturday morning, I'm thinking they're going to come to my game. And I get a call from my dad saying, hey, unfortunately, this is going to be the first game we miss. I mean, my whole life, every single sporting event I've ever played in, my parents have been there no matter what, at least one of them. And so my dad told me that literally an hour before the game at my team breakfast. And he texted me that. And I'm like, what? So I ended up calling him. He's like, yeah, unfortunately, we're not we're not happy with your actions, you know, and mm. And we're not, you know, we're not supporting you because of the things that you're doing. And, you know, we, we love you to death, but, you know, you're not becoming the son that we raised you to be. And in my mind, of course, being a 21 year old now, I'm like, well, they're just, you know, upset that they're seeing their son grow up. Mm. And so what I did was, you know, I kind of threw it to the side. I was like, whatever, they don't have to come, whatever. So the coolest thing about this spring game was it was the first time they did it on campus. And so, you know, I, I ended up playing, did phenomenal, did, did amazing, had a great game. And then sure enough, what, lo and behold, the last play of the game is when I tore my ACL. And I'll never forget that moment. I'm laying on the ground and I look up and I see everybody else's parents. I mean, it was dead silent. I could hear literally a pin drop. And um, everybody's looking at me. I'm on the ground. One of my teammates, Stephen Willis, jumped on me and started praying for me. So now here I am thinking my legs like flopped over because I don't know what happened. My leg, like, my leg just went numb. So I'm like, okay. So he clearly saw something that I didn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I look around. The trainers are on the golf carts coming onto the field. And I'm looking around and I realize in that moment, the one time that I really needed my parents the most, they weren't there. Mm. And, uh, and everybody else's was, and I'm like, wow, how selfish am I? Like how, how, how just un, you know, it just didn't make sense. And so when I got lifted off into the cart, it, I can't explain to you how peace of mind I was in that moment, knowing I was, I, I had, you know, again, I was sad, but I had such a peace knowing, Hey, this is what I needed. I needed mm. God to show up because the night before, this is no joke, that Friday night when I, my parents saw the picture, this is the day before the game, I was sitting in my bedroom. I had a, 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 I had a beach house by myself, so I had no distractions. And I'm literally sitting there thinking about the game that was going to take place the following day. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, God, how am I getting away with all of this stuff? Mm. And everything in my life is going the exact way I want it to. Everything. I'm the starting quarterback. I make straight A's. You know, everything is smooth. And, you know, I'm hanging out with friends, doing blah, blah, blah. And nothing's happening to me. And I know as a child of God, like, hey, he's going to put you back in your place at some point. I'm thinking, man, like, what's going on, God? And I never forget. I said, God, please just show up. I hope it's not drastic but I need you to show up to know that I'm still a child of yours. I I, I don't want you to, I don't want to feel abandoned. And I'm thinking about this Friday night. 
And sure enough, next morning, I get a call from my dad, boom, not coming to my game. Then I have a great game. Here I am thinking I'm back on the, you know, thinking about what I'm about to do after the game and celebrate with my friends or whatever. And then boom, everything yeah. happened in one play. And again, I can't tell you how the real feeling that I got when I was on the golf cart going to the training room, the peace that I had knowing that God used that one play, this specific injury to really alter my life in a way that I needed to because I wasn't being humble and I was doing this and that. And in one play, everything that I had worked hard for my whole life, everything that I've been dreaming about and getting in this position had just been taken away from me in literally one play. And it happened to be the very last play. I knew it was my last play. It was fourth down. And, um, and I, I mean, I'm like, wow. So from that moment on, my parents ended up showing up um, that next, the next day, Sunday to my, uh, to my beach house where my friend was actually taking care of me. They refused to show up. They actually told me, uh, you know, just pray about your injury. I told them I, you know, what might've happened. And they were almost like, they blew it off. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is like tough love here. Like I'm thinking I need you. And you're just like, yeah, well, I hope you get better. I hope it's not serious. I'm like, what? But sure enough, the next day, my parents came to my dorm. They took my friend home and, uh, and they had a whole like three hour conversation about the lifestyle that they've been watching me live. And the things that they've been noticing when I would come home on weekends and stuff like that, like, hey, this is not who you are. Mm. And from and so it really altered, you know, it got me right back on, on track. And I, you know, rededicated my life. And um, and from that moment on, man, I've been really, you know, dedicating my life to Christ. And, and, and again, it was a miracle. In five months, I got fully healed, full, full strength. You know, I had surgery like two weeks after I injured it, but I was fully cleared, contact, everything on the five-month mark. I only missed two games. Yeah, it was unbelievable. They couldn't believe it. And I remember I entered in April and our first game's in August. And I was full cleared in everything. Now, granted, I was doing some things outside of the things I was probably supposed to be doing because I knew mentally in my mind, I'm like, they fixed it in surgery, so I'm ready to go. Little did I know in three months, it was it turns into an ACL. If it's not a cadaver, which I didn't get, I got my hamstring. So I was running mile, seven miles after three weeks of surgery. I was doing crazy things without my parents even knowing because I knew mentally I had to get back. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, I didn't injure it. It actually got stronger. And the guy who, uh, who actually works for the Pittsburgh Steelers was my surgeon. And he literally said he's never seen a kid come back as fast as I did on a full ACL tear and repair in five months to be fully cleared, contact, everything. I'm talking about equal strength, both legs, everything. Wow. So what a blessing that was. And to get back on the football field in a year that I thought I would have to take a li- literally a whole year off. I mean, this injury was career ending like a decade ago. So here I am five months later doing everything I was doing before, you know, granted I had to wear a brace or whatever, but you know, that, you know, again, that's kind of a little bit of my faith story and, and stuff. So yeah, man, it's been a quite a journey, but man, God showed up every single time when I really needed it. And when I, you know, least expected it. So it's amazing. That's the thing that's always awesome about God is he's, he's never late, always on time and never his late. time. And you know, he's, he's always going to show up. It may not be the way we want him to show up, Man. He's going to show up. That's right. Uh, well, you know, what an awesome story and, and perspective of, you know, how many athletes have suffered an injury like that and their perspective has been the opposite of what yours was, right? And it's sent them down a, you know, a bad path mentally and spiritually. But that's that's an encouragement um, to, to hear that part of it. So So clearly, you know, still passionate about your faith. And so now as a – nationally known quarterback trainer you have your you know your clients here in florida and on all these camps what role does your faith play in in that now how do you see your faith 
guiding your training now when you're working with these young student athletes? Yeah, so it's all about leading by example, to be honest with you, man. How do I present myself in front of these kids? They're all looking at me as whatever that you want to call it, uh, a role model, a celebrity, uh, a well-known quarterback trainer, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. This is what these kids look up to me as well as the guys that I bring along in my staff when I travel and do this, these big camps and stuff. And so I have a role as a Christian to really set the example of what it means to truly demonstrate Christian uh, characteristics through my trainings and how I'm speaking to kids. And yeah. And, and then at the end of the day, you know, I'm praying with these kids. I honestly, at this point, I can care less it's it's weird to say that, but I can care less about kids' backgrounds because I'm not going to be afraid of what I stand for. So if a kid's parents or whatever, let's say I'm in, let's for example, North Carolina, and I tell all the kids at the end of the camp, we're going to say a prayer. I'm not shy to do that. And if a kid doesn't believe in God or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, it could be that moment where they make the decision of what is this? What does this mean? Why are we doing this? Or a parent could see that and be like, Whoa, like, what is this? Like what, what, you know, what's, this is different than what we've ever seen at a camp. Cause I'm gonna be honest with you, every camp I've been to, there's never been a prayer. Why? Because everybody's so right. scared about the political aspect of being a Christian or doing that and being wrong. And then all of a sudden you're gonna lose clients at the end of the day. I don't care if you're not a Christian, you don't like that. I'm not a Christian. I mean, that's your choice, but I'm not going to stop living my life for God because I, I want to get money or be a part of something, you know, because of whatever the, the incentive is. But me, I don't care. Like I'm in Dallas right now. And unfortunately a kid got injured. He ended up snapping his ankle in practice and all the kids are looking around. I actually gathered the entire football team at the midfield and, and told them to take off their helmets. And I said a prayer in front of everybody. At the end of the day, I don't care. You know, I, you're going to see who I stand for, what I stand for, and not have any shame in that. So I use that platform again in, in every situation I'm in, whether that's, again, traveling in my hometown or I travel across the country. I'm going to let people know, one, I'm a strong, dedicated Christian, and two, I'm not going to shy away from it. So at the end of the day, I'm going to start and end with prayer. And if you, you, you for whatever reason, want to participate, that's amazing. And if you don't, you're going to see, you know, hopefully God's light through me that's going to hopefully end up changing someone else, even if it's just one kid in the years of me doing this, you know? So um, again, and again, I have to sometimes catch myself because I'm a very passionate guy um, on how I'm presenting myself when I'm coaching. Cause I'm, again, I'm, I'm very hard on kids and I don't, I'm not, I don't baby them because my dad never did that. So, and I know how it turned out. So, and if you do that, too many coaches pat kids on the back and say, good job, knowing deep in their heart, that it's not good enough. And, and that's not right. And that's, and that's a Christian moral. Why right? you, we, we have to keep each other accountable and, 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 and that's not doing anybody a, a justice by saying good job, knowing that's not, you know, so I'm not that type of guy. So sometimes I got to see how I can present that by still being the example of a Christian and not being like, Oh, well, this guy curses or this guy's, you know, bad mouthing kids or making fun of kids. You know, At the end of the day, I want to show love. I want to show passion. I want to show, you know, realistic, you know, measures, but I also want to show the Christian aspect of what it means to be a Christian trainer uh, and coach in a kid's life. So yeah, I, I think to- I think demanding excellence is all over the Bible, yeah. right? I mean, I think right. I think what you're, you know, what you're, but I, but but you're right. There is a, a way to do it. Um, right. You, know, you can coach people hard and and still love them, um, yeah. and perhaps you know I'm sitting here, you know, listening to your passion about your faith and how you're not shy about that, and then you know, thinking about the platform you have. And perhaps that's why, you know, the favor God has had on your training business is, 
is to, you know, to touch kids' lives, you know, spiritually as well, um, yeah. using, using some quarterback training. And, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of kids that go to these camps or, or have personal trainers that have never been shown love or nobody's ever prayed for them. You know, so I'm, I can only imagine the, the difference you're making. So how do you balance all that? You're also married. So how do you balance all of that with uh, also being a husband and life outside of football? Yeah, so I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, if coaches are listening or people that are in relationships with with wives um, or, or their girlfriends about to be married, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, coach's lifestyle is very hard. You know, again, I'm in Dallas without her. You know, I, I am now six days without my wife right now. And, you know, she's been at home taking care of the house and the dog and stuff. And and here I am, you know, in her eyes, on vacation by myself, doing what I love, right? And so when she first, you know, got back together with me, because we were high school sweethearts. So she's she's known my life for a long time and the passion that I've had for football. And uh, we split up when I went to college and she did her own thing. I kind of focused on my, my path and we reconnected and then we got married not even a year later. So I knew what I wanted and that was her. But through this process, you know, she knew going into it, you know, the type of lifestyle that I had a passion for, which is the game of football. And at the time I was coaching high school, also doing training on the side. And I just started my camps. And um, and then now, obviously, being three years married, about to be four years this June 3rd, um, you know, the conversations changed a little bit. Right. So now we're married. And um, now the focus really and, and she's right in, in, in some aspect of her being the priority. And she is. But I got to figure out ways where I can do both what I love and still show her that she's important in my life. Because if you were to look at my life from an outside perspective, you don't know who I am. You look at my social media, my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook, my YouTube channel, all that. You're going to see football, football, football training, football training, football, right? That's what you're going to see. And and most coaches, you're going to see that. You are. But here's the thing, and this is the beauty about this is one of the reasons why I got out of high school coaching, because now high school coaching is a lot. You know, you're you're out from summer workouts in which you're not getting paid for in high school to August through December. Then you might have that January through what end of end of April, because now you're into spring football and then it starts all over again. So there's a lot of time involved with high school football. And once I really got big with my quarterback training business, which, again, it's my quarterback training business where I set my own schedule. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I realized, you know, I'm actually not benefiting from anything by coaching, then training, then traveling, then doing it again. So now I see her perspective. Hey, you're always doing football. Here's the number one thing. And I guarantee you coaches that are listening or going to listen or are hearing this right now. You've heard this phrase. Ready? My wife would say this. You love football more than me. Mm. And it was a constant conversation. And unfortunately, this is this is how the perspective is. But at the end of the day, my football is your nursing. You chose your nursing uh, profession. That's what you wanted to do to make money. And that's what you went. My path goals and and my job is football related. And for most women, they look at football as a hobby and as just a fun football game. When in reality, yes, this is actually a career path. You can use football like coaches and and college coaches, NFL, what what have you, you know, trainers, high school coaches. This is a profession. This is not just a hobby where you're going out and playing with friends. No, you're making money, changing kids' lives and using a football pigskin to do that. And so – now getting out of high school football and just strictly focusing on my quarterback training, what I do now, just because she is a registered nurse at Winnie Palmer, you know, she works three days a week. So what do I do during those three days a week? I train. I make sure I send out a list every Sunday and I say, Hey, these are the days that I'm training. This is the location. 
And it gives them the opportunity to know exactly where and when I'm training and gives them the opportunity to train with me. And then on top of that, I'm training when my wife's at work because she works mm. three 12 hour shifts. So she's gone all day. So I can train as many times as least times during those three days, knowing that the four days she's off, guess what? I go teach, I go teach. And then what do I do, right? When I'm done, I go home. Now I spend time with her. So now she sees me at home every single time she's home. If that makes mm. sense. So now I've created my own schedule around her schedule, which now works because now we're both at home all the time. And I still get my, my training in and she gets her time with me in now. And, th and that has opened up things like traveling to Dallas or going to North Carolina or Texas or Fort Myers for a weekend to do my camps because now she's getting in return that she's her priority. And then on the back end, she's starting to feel like she's happier. And now, Hey, no problem. Do your, your, your coach's weekend or go do this. And then now we're supporting each other instead of, you know, fighting each other mm -hmm. for attention, you know, and that's really worked the last year and a half for us. Cause that's when I, you know, almost two years now I quit coaching high school football and it's crazy because I asked, I'm asked every single year, Hey, can you coach me? Can you coach me? I got offered three jobs alone while I'm being in Dallas. I mean, one guy, one head coach literally told me, I will fire my offensive coordinator today if you decide to come with me. And I'm like, why? He goes, because he's not you. Like, you know, and I, you know, they, they see that, right? So I, I've been blessed and fortunate to have a gift of coaching, but at the end of the day, that's not what I want to do because I know the system that I have with my training, which is my ultimate passion and my wife's schedule would actually really meshes. Now, fortunately, not a lot of people have that luxury, right? They have to do their head coach. They have to do their coaching in high school or coaching in college. And, and it's unfortunate if you see the divorce rates, cause they're really, really high, you know, mm -hmm. in the coaching profession, especially when you're talking about college coaching and, and even doubled in NFL coaching. I mean, it's really hard to sustain a family knowing 90% of the year you're around this game because you're in charge of so many different lives and your, and your jobs on that, you know, especially in college you're year to year, you know, you just don't know. So with me, it's been a blessing. And again, that's how I'm able to balance it is because once I got out of high school coaching, I really focused on my quarterback training, which has blown up um, and presented opportunities like I'm doing now. And then on, on the back end, I'm able to be home when my wife's home and it works out. And then now she's getting her master's at the University of Cincinnati online to get her Peter, uh, um, nurse practitioner uh, degree in, in uh, her master's. And then once that happens, she'll go to her you know, regular nine to five, five days a week, have off holidays and stuff. So you know, might have to tweak things again, but at the end of the day, if we're working together through this uh, and the communication piece, I think that's ultimately what helps me balance my lifestyle with her. And at the end of the day, making her feel like a priority and still getting what I want to do out of football. That's awesome. I love that. Making, you know, making her a priority, whatever that looks like in everybody's marriage, that looks different. But I think that's the takeaway is making her a priority, making you and communication, which... It's not always easy for us men. Not at all. Communication is <laughs> harder than you would think it would be, right? Just talk. Well, no, it's not easy because sometimes interpretation of what you want to try to communicate isn't really reciprocated the way you want it to or what you think it is. And then yeah. when you overanalyze things, it can kind of get a little crazy. Yep, yep. So we're, you know, nine months into this COVID, you know, pandemic that's, you know, impacted all of us. Some, everybody impacted us different, but I'm sure it's impacted your, your training. So how did you stay connected to your, your guys during that period? 
crazy part about this, I'm not joking. Now, I had to be strategic in how I did things. But at the end of the day, if you looked at what happened at the end of February, when it all hit to where we're at today, I have not changed a thing. I've been training still three to four times a week outside with kids in groups of 10 to 20 to, you know, doing camp still. I've done, I've done all my camps in the summer, just did a camp for Christmas, I did a camp for a Halloween. <clears throat> so as long as the, the parents are okay with it, which is funny, I've actually seen more parents be want, wanting to be more involved outside and doing things than I've ever seen before through this cold COVID pandemic. So fortunately for me, I've been so blessed to have not through this, through training caught COVID and changing my lifestyle. But I will tell you through this pandemic, I was very strategic in how I can reach others that were maybe cautious, quarantining or whatever, being home. And I started my own virtual school with quarterback virtual school with, um, which was tied into my advanced quarterback camp with Kevin Olson and Quincy Carter. And, um, and so every Saturday for about two months straight from, I believe we started in March, and, and and went through March, April, and a little bit of May. Uh, we did a quarterback virtual school, and every Saturday we get a, a, on the computer in a Zoom meeting. And at the time, COVID was really helping out because Zoom was free at the time, and um, and I was using that to our advantage. And so we would have you know groups of twenty to thirty quarterbacks at a time, and I would bring in celebrity guests. I've had Charlie Ward on there, Kurt Warner on there, Chris Ricks on there, you know some big name players, you know on my on my show or my virtual school. And I was, it was able to reach out to other kids across the country, put on, you know, quarterback virtual school, which was going over coverages, pre-snap reads, how to break down film, all the stuff that you don't really teach in a training, you know, and I was able to strategically create that, which in return, I did it again in the summer, which was another great turnout. So like now that's part of what I do is now I do virtual schools. And it was because of COVID and me thinking strategically and how I can reach quarterbacks across the country that are just sitting at home. I created this whole you know, quarterback virtual school with these guys. And now it's like blown up into where I've met, you know, I'm on the phone now with Kurt Warner. I'm on the phone now with Charlie Ward. You know, I, I'm, I'm having conversations with Chris Ricks, you know, big time names, you know, all across the country. And obviously now Quincy Carter with the Dallas Cowboys is one of my best friends and Kevin Olson. Like these are the guys that we, you know, linked up with and started this with. So it's been so amazing. And, and Jeff and Jeff Blake, you know, he was a part of that as well. So, you know, we got some big time names that played this position at the, in the NFL. And, and on, on top of that, these kids are able to meet them. And also had Daniel Jones from the Giants. You know, I mean, this is it was wild. The, the, the opportunities I was able to meet through this virtual school on Zoom. Um, and so with that being said, these quarterbacks across the country at all ages, even their favorite quarterbacks and in return, you know, throughout the two and a half hours that we do it, you know, they're learning the game of football from a quarterback perspective. And so that's that was the coolest thing about, you know, you know, going through this pandemic, which is a sad thing and, you know, strategically figuring out ways to reach out to other people across the country, you know, through still training them. And, and now it's instead of being physical, now it's the mental game. And so now I plan on doing a virtual school at least once a year, every year for eight weeks, it's an eight week program and, you know, touching quarterbacks and getting them in the mind and, and changing that game and that perspective. So it's been crazy, but yeah, man, a crazy thing to tell you, man, it's not a joke. You know, I have not stopped my trainings. It's still been three to four times a week outside, even through the thick of the COVID when they were banning parks and stuff. Like I had access to a lot of different things and people that were giving me permission and I was still rolling with it. And yeah, I got a lot of backlash on Twitter because I'd still post group photos. But at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer in not living in fear. You know, God has a plan. And if that was my plan, you know, obviously we have to be safe. You can't be crazy and be like, okay, I, I know I have COVID. I should, I, you know, I'm going to go around kids. No, if I had symptoms that's shutting down quick, 
But, you know, until that point, you know, I'm risking it just as much as they're risking it being out there, you know, praying and hoping that none of these kids have COVID or I somehow have COVID and, and spreading it. But man, I, I can tell you and honestly tell you through February through December, training hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of quarterbacks week in and week out that not one of those kids got COVID as a result of training or myself got COVID through that. So it's been a blessing, man. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people can't really say that. Um, but, you know, I was one of the fortunate ones to literally go through all the way through December without COVID. That's awesome. That's I, love awesome. The, I love the, the virtual school because um, listening to some of the guys that you, you mentioned, not only the great quarterbacks and I'm sure assets to that part of the training, but also good guys too. So, you know, using yeah. – using some quality guys. So I love to ask this one because this question always encourages me a lot. Is there a favorite, you know, scripture that you go to in a difficult time or maybe during the last nine months, you know, a scripture that God has really shown you that you would share and encourage us? Yeah. For I know I have the plans for you has declares the Lord, you know, that's, that's my number one, Jeremiah 29, 11, obviously Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, it's the basic ones, right. But if you really believe it, it, it can really change your life, you know, and, and God's always in control and no matter what, what the circumstances is. And again, fear not for I'm with you all times, you know, stuff like that, like strength isn't coming from your own, but from God and knowing that he has a plan for everybody's life. You know, that's pretty strong, especially through times like this and not fearing anything. Right. So, um, yeah, those are my probably two favorite quotes and obviously not fearing anything, knowing God's with you. Um, he holds you up with his right hand, you know, stuff like that. It's just, you know, just continue plays in your mind through this thing and like living in no fear, you know, freedom. God wants us to live in freedom. And, you know, God knows what's going to happen. If, and again, if, if this is how I'm supposed to go out, this was already determined from my life. So I have to accept what's happening, but not live in the fear of possibly me getting the virus or what have you through whatever I do. But at the end of the day, man, it's, it's not my will, but his will. Amen. That's good. We'll close it out with this last one. This is kind of a practical question. Um, two words all in, I mean, it's all over sports and I have to talk about what it means, but it's also, you know, Jesus was very clear. If you're going to be a follower of his, deny yourself, take up your cross. So what does that look like from practical sense on a daily basis for you, Balin, to be all in in your walk with, with, with Jesus? Yeah, man, when you're all in, you're all in, you're committed, right? When, when you see these kids sign that dotted line and, and, and they're committing to their schools or, or what have you, I mean, at that point, you're all in. And the only way to really fully be all in for those that are listening is to give your life to Christ again, all in is all phases of your life. You can't just say, Hey, I'm going to trust him in this area, but in this area, I think I got it. Or I'm going to, you know, you know, rely on God to help, you know, build my marriage, but I got my football life. I'm good with that. Like, no, it's all aspects. And we got to understand that by going to church, reading your Bible every day, you know, praying all the time, those are awesome. But at the end of the day, if you haven't personally accepted God as your Lord savior, all that means nothing. I'm going to be honest with you. It means absolutely nothing. If people hear me and they think they can just go to church on Sundays and they think they're good or are they're, are they're saved, that is the biggest lie that you'll ever be told. That is a lie. Guys out there, girls out there, it don't matter who you are listening. If you think going to church, 
tithing, praying, and, 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 and living a good life, which we all know everybody has their own definition of what good means. So we know that doing good works means absolutely nothing, right? Because some people in some religions think that killing people is good, which we all know is not. So we, we already know when you, when you start using that word, hey, I'm a good person. Well, what does that exactly mean? That means absolutely nothing in God's eyes because we're all sinners. But until you make that, that decision to say, God, acknowledging that you're a sinner and saying, come into your life, you know, all that means nothing. Good works is dead without faith. And the only way to do that is, is to give your life to Christ and become a born again Christian. You know, and then that's the stuff that your heart's going to start changing and you're going to want to pray more. You're going to want to go to church more. You're going to want to do these things out of out of the things because you want to do them, not because either you're forced to by your parents or you think that you have to do it because you think God's watching and this is what he would like. Mm. No, those are convenient Christians, you know, that we're not convenient. We're, we're consistent and we're and we're and we mean it like we're, we're pers- we have purpose. So. Um, I would, I would definitely say to the leaders, when you're all in, man, the first step you got to do is give your life to Christ. No matter what you got to give it to him, acknowledge that you're a sinner, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he is the Lord of and savior of our lives. And once you say, come into my life, take over, you are our God. That is it. From that moment on you, you're born again. And now you're going to start to see the change in your heart because the things that you used to want to do now you want to change. That's when you start becoming all in because you're starting to go away from your old habits or your old, you know, sinful, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. But until you make that decision, everything you're doing because you think it's good is actually bad because now you become a hypocrite. That's one of the worst things that God uh, God clearly says in the Bible. You know, I'll spit you out. You know, you think you you call my name, you're you're uh, depart from me. I never even knew you. That's scary. But if you have a true relationship with God, which God invites everyone to come in, not this group, not this specific, no, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So anytime you're, you know, you want to talk about being all in, be all in, but first make that decision to be a Christian and then live your life that way and think about this is the best thing, the best phrase. What would Jesus do? I have it on my wrist right now. Those that, you know, you can't see me, but I have a, what would Jesus do bracelet? I wear that everywhere. Okay. What would Jesus do? Cause that's the decision. When you talk about being all in, what would Jesus do in any decision that you're about to make in that moment? If you really, if you really, and I, you know, I'm guilty. I, I'm not, I'm not a perfect guy. Heck no, far from it. Right. I messed mm-hmm. this up. But when you acknowledge it and, and pray and ask God forgiveness and try to change, that's when real all in meets. Like you can't just say, Hey God, please forgive my sin. And the next day you do the exact same thing. Like you're defeating the purpose. You're just using God when it's convenient for you. No, actual make real change. That's when you're showing that you're truly all in for Christ. And then you got to lead others to Christ. How do you do that? Lead by example, communicate, right? Prayer, you know, pray for your loved ones, pray with your friends, pray with people, right? You don't know how he can use you in those situations and then have conversations. Don't be scared, you know, be bold, you know, be all in, you know, when you're all in and you stand for something, you're going to stand up for it. If someone says, my dad or my mom is this, that, that. No, what am I doing to stand up for? Because I know that's wrong or I know them, right? When you know God, you can be bold and stand up for him. That's when you're all in because you have a personal relationship with him. You've actually dived into the word and got to know who God is. Not because of someone told you or you are at a church sermon. No, because you have a personal relationship and you have seen how he's worked hand in hand in your life. All in is a very big word, and I believe there's a lot of pressure that comes with it, but God doesn't want that pressure. He wants you to have, be free. Be free. The biggest thing that I – when I talk to kids is when they when they talk about the word 
Christianity, what they what do they associate? Oh, yeah. Again, the word all in, right? But what do they mean by all in? Oh, coach, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to do that. I'm under mm-hmm. a bunch of rules. I don't have freedom. When in reality, once you give your life to Christ, you have the most freedom you ever want because one, you're not going to want to do those things that you want to, that the earth wants to do or the world wants to do. You're going to want to change that and you want to be a part of it. But yet you have more freedom because now you have God on your side. Like you are free. You don't have to worry about making everybody happy or pleasing everybody or trying to hide things. Because at the end of the day, when you have God, your heart's going to change. You're not going to want to do the things behind your parents' back. You're not going to want to steal. You're not going to want to think about how freeing that is to never always look over your back wondering if you're going to get caught doing something. Come on, that's it's, it's common sense. So you actually have more freedom. There's not rules. God uses things in the Bible to help guide our life the right way. It's not saying don't do it. He's saying if you do these things, here's the consequences. But if you don't do these things, you'll live in more freedom. So people, people look at the rules. No, that's, uh, there is no rules in Christianity. It's your heart. Your heart's not going to want to do those things, which in return looks like you're following rules. But in reality, you're just living the Christian life, which means what? You're all in. So, yeah, man. Wow. That's awesome. You know, I, I've asked that question to probably 100 and, almost 160 people. Um, you've probably given the most passionate answer, um, you know, and everybody answers it a different way. And, you know, yeah, because right. I ask, you know, from a practical sense and, you know, reading your Bible, pray, all that stuff is great things. But I love how you, you know, passionately talk about, you know, it's it's all phases of your life. And, you know, that old I remember the when the WWJD bracelets were all over the place. And yeah, you know, I think a lot of people wore them and didn't really understand the magnitude of, if you really ask, what would Jesus do? Right. Hey, you, yeah. If your answer is not what you wanted to hear, you're probably doing the wrong thing. So. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. That's good. That's a good way to, to, to wrap it up. I love that. Um, I, I appreciate it. I know you got, you know, you're, you're a busy man. So I appreciate you being willing to jump on and share your story. I know I've been encouraged. Anything of the spread of the kingdom. I'm all for it, man. I always make time for God and and communicating and meeting great people like yourself and, and talking about Jesus, man. That's what it's all about. The end of the day, man, I'd rather have a full conversation about uh, my Lord and savior and, and, and how he's impacted my life than a football game that I care about. Right. This is more important than anything I'll ever be involved in. So I appreciate you even taking the time to reach out to me and setting this whole thing up. So, I mean, this is, this is what it's about, man, spreading the kingdom and spreading the word of God and and getting closer and becoming, you know, brothers and and sisters in Christ and and ultimately spreading his kingdom. Cause that's what we're here for. Not for being the best quarterback trainer or the best, what X, Y, Z, whatever you want to name it. It's not about that. God uses Mm -hmm. that to to hopefully expand his kingdom by putting you in a position to do that. So And I thank you for taking the time for to, to spend with me and, and hear my story. Wow. Thank you again to Balin for taking time to share his story. Thank you for listening. Um, I could spend a lot of time on a recap for this, but there's just one word that really stands out, um, and that is passion. Whether he was talking about football, his wife, or most importantly, his relationship with Jesus and encouraging us in our walk, he did it with, with passion, and that's who he is. And I think that's the encouragement for you and for me that wherever you are, wherever I am in life, that I need to do it with with passion, whether it's in in my career, um, time with my family, but most importantly, in my pursuit and my relationship with Jesus and and also in, in making Jesus known to others. I need to do that with great passion. So thank you, Balin, for encouraging me personally to to take my walk with with Christ to a new level when it comes to to being passionate about it. 
Um, I hope you were encouraged as well, and I hope you'll share this episode with somebody. Um, Thank you again um, for listening as always. Thank you for your support, your encouragement, and we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the search bar type in All In Sports Outreach. It'll take you to our pages. Um, or go to our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray, to serve, and to give. Once again, thank you for your continued support, encouragement, and your prayers.